This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 317. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, I'm Rose Andrew, and I am joined by my <laughs> lovely, wonderful, and amazing, and all of those other things, wife, Anitra. That's me. And she laughs at me every time. It's an odd-numbered show. You make a bigger deal out of it every time. Well, because I, I can see the look on your face. Our listeners can't see the look on your face when you are rolling your eyes uh... so hard. But anyway... As I was saying, odd number show. <laughs> we have a guest on the show this week. We do. We have Derek Bruff, who many of you may know from the Family Gamers community on Facebook, but he also does a podcast called First Player Token. Hi, Derek. Hi, guys. I am so excited to be on the podcast today. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Yeah. Uh, sorry if you end up disappointed at how the sausage is made, but you know what? That's, that's kind of how these things go. You know what I haven't done for a while is mentioned the topic of the show at the beginning. Uh, we should do that. Well, we kind of so did. So we kind of already did because uh, it's an yeah. interview show, but we had Derek on. He's going to talk a little bit about First Player Token and some of the stuff that he does. He does super short form podcast stuff and reviews and I, I wish our stuff was shorter sometimes, but maybe we'll <laughs> learn from Derek. <laughs> ah, of course, 317, I have a fact about our episode. Are you ready oh, good. for our fact? I'm very excited about a 317 fact. Okay, so this is another one of those numbers that was kind of tough. Yeah. Um, I think it's but, a prime number. Is it prime? Uh, it feels prime. It feels, it feels, it feels prime. pretty prime to me, yeah. So I went to a whole bunch of websites looking for a good 317 fact. There was some interesting stuff in history in the year 317. But the one that I landed on that I felt was appropriate for the Family Gamers podcast is, did you know there is only one set currently for sale on the LEGO website that has 317 pieces? I did not know that. There is only one. It is the Ice Cream Truck Police Chase set. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, I thought you might like that. That seems like there must be a story to that set. Ice Cream Trucks and Police Chases don't typically go together. I, I wish there was. It's an ice cream truck and a police car and an ATM with some bandits. Oh, oh. They're girl bandits. Yeah. Oh. Oh. So the ice cream truck is their getaway vehicle. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's... It's a it's a Lego City set. It looks cute though. It does look kind of cute. Three hundred seventeen pieces. Uh, there there was some other sets that I found. The police helicopter transport, also Lego City, also had three hundred seventeen pieces. But but the only one that you anymore. can buy at the Lego website mm-hmm. is. Ice cream trucks and police chases. Oh, so. it's got an ice cream launcher on the roof of the Great. Room. More things to lose. <laughs> Turning Legos into projectile weapons. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Anyway, so that's my fact for episode 317 All of right. the show. And as usual, we have a message from our sponsor, First Move Financial. This is a very timely message for those who are listening at the end of the year 2022. If you have student loans... You need to go to studentaid.gov to fill out the application for student loan forgiveness. I know we mentioned this last week, but it's still really important. This program will forgive $10,000 of student loans for a single individual with an income of up to $125,000 in the last two years, 2020 or 2021. Or if you're married filing jointly 
and you have a income of up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in twenty twenty or in twenty twenty one. Our friends at First Move Financial recommend that you apply early to get in the queue because there are some legal challenges to the program and some changes have already been made. You might not qualify based on the types of loan you have, but the application itself takes 30 seconds, so there's really no downside to applying. First Move Financial are not student loan experts, but they are able to help in many cases to at least get you pointed in the right direction. If you would like to talk to someone about your personal finances, schedule a time by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring the show. All right. At this point in the show, Derek, it is time to talk about some games that we've been playing. I hope that you have come prepared to talk about games you've been playing. I have. Yes. All right. Good. Excellent. All right. And you get to go first. It's, you know. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, well, thank you. So I haven't been playing as many games lately as I might have preferred because my wife and I had a baby back in April. And so congratulations. Our, <laughs> yeah. Our own game playing between the two of us is not quite what it was <laughs> before sure, um, the child say. came along. Yeah. But he's now at the point where you can, well, Two weeks ago, he was at the point where you could set him in one place and he would entertain himself with toys for a little while. Since then, he has now learned how to crawl. And so all bets are off. Um, We're just going to have to put a tracker on him. Um, But uh, Emily and I got to play a game called Obsession, which I had tried on Board Game Arena and kind of fell in love with after one play. And I thought, um, this is really thematic. And my wife and I love thematic games. Wingspan is one of our favorites. And so this seemed to be about the same weight. And it has this kind of Downton Abbey, Jane Austen vibe to it, where you take on the role of a family in England in, I don't know, 1885 or something. Uh, (laughs) And you're trying to kind of make your way in a hard world full of aristocrats. And so you're, I keep saying aristocats in my head. I mean, um, it's a great movie. That's a great movie. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to get grief here. <laughs> and so you're trying to, you know, burnish your family reputation and expand your manor house and invite guests to your activities. And um, Emily and I loved it. It's charming to look at. Uh, it has this, nice color palette, all the little activities, you know, you can have guests that come over and then you go hunting together or you have, you know, you play whist or something and it's, it's a really clever game. And yeah, we have enjoyed obsession. I've been playing it more on board game arena with some of my friends, but Emily and I had a good game in person recently together and we really liked it. Well, you could whip me on board game arena because I am willing, (laughs) like, this is not a theme for me. This is a theme for Anitra. But I am willing, I mean, if the game is truly clever, I'm willing to forego my lack of interest in the theme for the sake Mm. of playing a good game and also making my wife happy. Both of those are important things in my (laughs) life. So if you would like to whoop me on Board Game Arena, feel free to invite Family Gamers AA to a game. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to add, when I I first played in a Board Game Arena, I think I found like a three-minute intro video to the game and I watched it and then I jumped in and it all made sense. It's it's a really elegantly designed game. If you've played some games of similar weight, it's going to make a lot of sense, but also feel like you're actually you know, trying to climb the social ladder in late 19th century England. Nice. Well, I can't climb it now, so I might as well try back then. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, man. Anitra, do you want to go next? Sure. Let's talk about something that you and I have been struggling a little bit with. Uh, (laughs) So this is the game called Suspects. Claire Harper takes the stage. 
Yeah, this is the meatiest game on the list. I think for it's sure. a substantial subtitle too. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. This is a mystery solving game. I think we talked a little bit about this when we played the sort of intro box that was supposed to be the easy introduction that still took over an hour and we scored really poorly. So, okay. So the premise of these games, like you can think of something like an unlock box or something like that, but the plot of this is that you're trying to solve a mystery. You're not trying to like escape something, right? So it's not desperate. There's no time uh, frame to this, which is good. And I think that we, at least I, so when we played the intro set, I played it alone, and then you played it with Claire. Right. And this time around, we played it with another couple. And four people was definitely a much better four fit. college-educated <laughs> engineering school people okay. <laughs> did this. And the big thing that I want to say about this game, because I think it's really super important, is what you're supposed to do is when you hit a certain card threshold, write down what you think the answers to all the questions are and continue to reveal all of the cards in the entire game. So it's not like, okay, I think this is it. I'm going to stop and I'm going to look. That's not what you're supposed to do in this game. So I had the mechanics a little bit confused in the beginning. I don't know how you did it when you played, but when we played it with other people, like that concept made a lot more sense because then you're like, okay, at 30 cards, this is what I think all the answers are. Okay, at 45 cards, yeah. hmm. this is how I've revised my answers. At 60, and maybe, maybe I haven't changed them. At 60, which is the whole deck, okay, this is what I have for my final answers. And then when you open the envelope that tells you all the solutions, there's you get different point values for when you got that thing correct. Oh, uh, yeah. So you get okay. zero if you got it wrong. Right, sure. So you get some points if you got it right and more points if you got it right earlier right. earlier yeah. yeah almost like uh like downforce betting like uh, almost mm, like that get yes. more money if you <laughs> yes. if you yeah. bet on the right one so i really liked it a lot you have to pay attention to everything in this game it's really challenging because the questions are worded in such a way that you know kind of how much information you're looking for but not exactly what information you're looking for So one of them said, like, what are the three objects that were used in this crime? And we're like, we had two down, Pat. Like, we had them from very, very early on. We're like, I don't even know what the third one could be. And because of the order in which we pick to investigate stuff, we didn't have that till very close to the end. And when we found it, it became immediately obvious. Um, so we opted for giving ourselves partial credit because <laughs> like, gotcha. it's a game, yeah. like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to have sure. But it's that sort of thing. And there are some logical leaps where if you, shall I say, investigate something slightly out of order and don't think to come back at it and rehash it with everybody again later, once you've gotten more information, you're just going to miss stuff. Well, and I, I would amend what you said, because you said, if you don't think to look back at it, I don't think you can look back at some of the stuff in the correct order, because you don't never know what the correct order is. Well, 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 right. I'm not saying that there is, quote unquote, a correct order, but like there are definitely things that are helpful and things that depend on other information to be helpful. And if you see it the first time and you're like, this means nothing to me and kind of toss it off to the side, you might not realize later on when you get the information that would have made that first thing helpful. It's helpful in this direction, but if you had that other piece of information first, it would have been helpful in a different direction, which is even worse because now you think that you've used it, but you didn't quite use it the right way. So both in the intro thing that we did and in the first case, so this Claire Harper takes the stage is actually three cases in one box. There were logical jumps in both of them 
that I thought were like there was one in both cases that I thought were I mean, okay, you know, when you they, read it, you're like, I mean, sure. They were small and understandable, mm-hmm. but if you didn't make that jump, you would not solve the case appropriately. Like, we figured out the correct person, we figured out what they used to commit the crime, and our motive was... Our motive was way off. Technically way off, but, like, only... But it made sense. It made, it made perfect sense with every, you know... And, sure. And, of course, with a game like this, you're like, well, mm, that might be a red herring. Like, oh, that guy's a yep. big jerk. I bet he's the killer, but I bet he's not actually the killer... Because he's a, it's a big red herring. Because he's just a big jerk. He's yeah. not a killer. And then it's like, oh, well, I found out this fact. But maybe that fact doesn't matter at all. Because that guy didn't know. And this one didn't know. You know what I mean? So mm, It's not like Law and Order, where you know the first three people they interview are not actually going to be the guilty parties. Right, exactly. Well, And you're well, the one I making also, the decision who you're going to interview. <laughs> right. so I also don't have deep chimes to make the joke. <laughs> right. <so. laughs> yeah. Although that would be a nice addition to this game. But I, Who I is wanted- the killer? Junk, <laughs> junk. <laughs> Yes, but I want it to feel like an Agatha Christie novel or something like that. And it starts to accept that I am not as smart as Hercule Poirot or, you know, (laughs) Miss Marple or Sherlock Holmes. Uh, And so although this is really cleverly constructed, Mm. it feels a little unsatisfying when we finish. Um, I bet you if we we're going to do the other cases before we review this, at least one more case before we review this. And if we nail everything. I bet you it's going to feel very satisfying. Yes. I'm saying based on our experience thus far, I don't think we're going to nail everything. Mm, I think we're going right. to we're going to run into the same issue again. So so is this a difficulty level thing cuz you don't want it to be super obvious to people either. Right, 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 right. I don't have a good answer here. I enjoy playing it and working through it. I don't enjoy getting to the end and saying like how the heck was I supposed to know this thing? Right. I I don't know. Also, the, the, I think the final thing I'm going to say about this, and I, by the way, for all the negative that we're, it definitely sounds negative. Like we had a lot of fun playing this. Yes. I think it says that each case is supposed to take an hour. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> so here's the thing. So I don't recommend doing this at two people. I recommend doing it at four people. More than four would probably get a little crowded. But you're not going to invite people over to solve these cases that you don't like. So it's yeah. going to be a social experience. Yeah. So you're not going to be heads down crushing it on this thing the whole time. Like you're going to have a beer or whatever. You're going to be talking. You're going to be laughing about some stuff. Well, you might, and you might step back for a little bit and have arguments with each other yeah, over, which, you know, which we what did we as should well. do like, next oh, do you agree or with this who do we think did it or yeah. all those things. Yeah. But, yeah. but it, I mean, it was genuinely fun and interesting to like really break all that stuff down. It just took three hours. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, yeah. but it didn't, like, it was like, holy crap, it's 11 o'clock. You know, it was it was kind of like that. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of so, the, yeah, the thing of, to think about. Yeah, kind of mixed on it. They're definitely fun. I definitely enjoy them, and I'm looking forward to doing another mystery out of that box. But it's, we were not prepared the very first time that we went in for what this experience was going to well, be. Oh, not at all. With the, with the sample set? No. With the sample set. <laughs> we are better prepared now, but even then... I have a feeling that the experience is still going to be mixed. It's not going to be all good. It's not going to be all satisfying. I also think that there's something to the at least conceptual time limits placed on you with the unlocks and the exits because they really do keep you going. Like, okay, they well, make you, keep moving. you know, yeah. with yeah. this, the limit is the card count. Yeah. So there is no time limit. So yeah. you just have to be prepared. You're going to be doing it for a couple of hours. And that's yeah. not a bad thing. Again, it's just, it's just it is what you it is. You need to be prepared. Yep. Yeah. 
I, I, that's an interesting finishing mechanic, though, right? As opposed to a, a time limit or something. Right. Um, you will eventually see all the things. Yes. Um, yep. Which I kind of like, knowing that if I wait long enough, I'll get all the clues. But it's to my advantage to try to figure things out a little faster. But it's hard, right? I can imagine I haven't designed in this. Well, I guess I kind of have designed an escape room. So for several years, I taught a college-level course on cryptography, codes and ciphers. Ooh, and I would, uh, I, I did a, you know, cryptography themed scavenger hunt a couple of times. And then I moved to a cryptography themed escape room experience for my students. They, they didn't know this was coming. They just walked into class and there was an encrypted message on the chalkboard and a locked box at the front of the room. And they just had to figure out how to solve the message. And it led to another clue, which led to another clue. And they had to use all the cryptography skills they had learned. And what I realized was, especially in in a college setting, they're planning to be there for 50 minutes and then they have to be somewhere else after that. And so I'm trying to design an experience that's fun and engaging and everyone works together that finishes in about 47 minutes consistently. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Or you could shoot for 30 and have a bag of candy and be right. like, you know what? You got some candy and you can leave her. Congrats. You all won. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that that's Claire Harper takes the stage. I'm looking forward to playing it again. But this is like we have to get the right people in the room kind of thing to play yeah. this. They're good. It's just I've never before had a game that I was genuinely afraid to review. Mm. I have. That's been That's been this game more so than anything else. One last thing before we move on. Our kids were certainly interested. There was other stuff going on the night that we did this, but each of our kids walked up in turn at some point and was like, ooh, what are you doing? And what do you know? And can I give my input to help solve the mystery? So it's not that it's not kid-friendly as much as a murder mystery can be. Sure. But it's just really challenging and requires focus for a long period of time. So I probably would not recommend it for anyone under about 12 or 13. So I think, you know, I I think we're going to review this after the second case, but I think we'll do the third case and we'll do it with the kids, but allow them to come and go as they please. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. And, you know, because our 11 year old will be like, I'm in it. Let's do this. Right. But our 14 year old will be like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, nope, I'm going to go draw. (laughs) (laughs) And the eight-year-old, it's going to completely depend on his mood that night. Yeah, yeah. so, (laughs) you know, it's funny. I was in some board game community on Facebook today, and somebody asked the question, should you make your kid stay and finish a game when you're halfway through? It's a good question. The answer is absolutely not. (laughs) Do not, no, don't force your kid. If you want your kid to argue with you when you try to get them to play a game next time, make it a miserable experience for them. Yeah. Right. Now, and if your kid wants to like quit soccer practice halfway through, that's a different matter. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there, I mean, that's a whole different thing, right? Yeah. I mean, like soccer practice is supposed to be training for the fun thing. Right. <laughs> right. Playing ticket to ride is not training for riding <laughs> no. on a train. Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so this is very much that same thing. It's like, if we were of the mentality of if a kid's going to start the game, they have to finish the game. I would not at all no. consider yeah. involving them at all. Yeah. And I think they really would miss out on having some tangential access to this experience. Yeah. Well, it's one of the advantages of a cooperative game is that it is a little easier to have people drop in and drop out. And, you know, you can play for them if they leave. You can have them join up and just chip in ideas. Yeah. And this is one where there aren't 
turns or anything. Everything is done by consensus. So you can have a kid who's just kind of peripherally involved, like they've been doing their own thing, but maybe listening to what's going on and they can pipe up and be like, I think you should go talk to this person next. I think he did it or whatever. All right, let's talk about something else. How about we talk about something way lighter? Yes, please. How about we talk about the game that shocked us that it was the least completed game on our 10 by 10 this year? Yes. Well, it didn't shock me because I've been looking at it all year and being like, why won't anyone play this game with me? It's Draftosaurus. We love this game. I know. It's a great game. I know it is. I've been asking my kids at least once a month all year long, like, hey, guys, we put Draftosaurus on the 10 by 10. Will someone play it with me? And I keep getting like, nah, Nah. nah, mom. Nah, bro. Nah. So we played it this week for the first time since January. Oh, wow. (laughs) And we had a great time. Oh, it's great. The game's great. I will say we've been hitting the 10 by 10 pretty hard. Like, we're feeling the pressure. We are not going to make it. It's November. Like, time's ticking. We are right around halfway done. Uh, And it's November. I don't think we are going to play 50 games in the next (laughs) I do find that in my life, though, there is a kind of Black Friday effect around Thanksgiving. Like I I play a lot of games during the year and then Thanksgiving week hits and we play so many games. So many games that week. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think. So what are the long ones? So Fire Tower and Quacks are the two longest ones on there, right? Like Quacks is going to be the toughest one to finish, I think. Yeah, I think we've only, I think we've put Twice. it in three, Twice or three oh, times. Yeah. yeah, that's just a lot like, of time. Drop it is going to be easy. Dice Throne, we're already playing a lot more of that. Yeah. Draftosaurus is pretty yeah, sure. I, like, I, I mean, I agree. I think I, it's doable. I tried to make sure that the stuff that went on the 10 by 10 was short, fun games, but they still just. Ambitious though. So my, um, uh, cause I know you guys track your plays and you give your monthly reports. And yes. I never look at my monthly H index because it just seems too small. But I pretty consistently hit an H index of seven for the year. So seven oh, games no, played at least no seven I'll times check, each. I'll check my 2022 while you're talking. Go ahead. <laughs> but again, it's it's the Black Friday effect. Like my H index is like four or five. And then we hit Thanksgiving rolling into Christmas. And there's just so much more family time to play games. And that's when I will almost always hit my H index goal for the year, like the day after Thanksgiving. I feel like there's something to that as well, where with like family coming to visit, there'll be the, hey, let's play this game. That was great. Let's play it again. That was great. Let's play it right. again. Exactly. Yep. You'll get like three plays in a row. Yeah. Yep. My H index last year was five. Really? Yeah. If I played Baron Park one more time, it would have been uh, six. Okay. Yeah. And then there was no chance I would have gotten to seven. Interesting. Yeah. Because I feel like you guys play a lot more games than I do during the year, but you, yeah, you but play, play lots lot of, of different games. games. I play a lot. So here's my annual report for 2022. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. Oh, that's 2022. Let me look at last year, which is 2021. I'm sorry. My H index In 2021, was you seven. Have seven. My H index is seven. There you go. See, you're right I there. Have, how did I play 22 games of Seven Wonders Duel? Oh, this includes Board Game Arena now. Oh, okay. That's See, I had, I had a moment where I had to decide, am I going to count Board Game Arena or not? And I have now well, deleted them all from my Board Game Stats app. So it's just well, in-person plays. I don't. Tr- it tracks for me automatically. Yours is hooked up. Yeah. Oh, I, you're hooked up. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to count them anyway. I don't care. Good <laughs> 22 plays of Seven Wonders Duel in 2021. That's a lot. That's a lot. Of yeah, anyway, this is right. the meta game for all the games. Is how we yeah. how how we how we pick the settings for our board game stats. Yeah, right. I almost quartered a game last year. That's impressive. Twenty two plays. Yeah, I 
Did not, but I did have an H index of eight. For but have year. you hooked up Board Game Arena? I have not. Mm-hmm. See, that's if you hooked up Board Game Arena, then I probably oh, would yeah. have a couple. Now of I feel like I need to disconnect it because I feel like I'm cheating. It's not cheating. It's a board game. All right, I, I, hold on. Pause. Everybody that's listening to this, can you please <laughs> at Family Gamers in. AA on literally anything? We're on everything, and let me know should I be tracking Board Game Arena or not. I will go with what the audience says. Okay. What do you think, Derek? Should I be dragging? I'm guessing you're going to say no. I say no, I, I, unless I'm playing it synchronously with people. Sure. Mm. Right? Which I respect. Yeah. I like respect. like yeah. we are, we have allocated the time. We are playing this game live together. I'm going to count yep. that play. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Let's move on. Okay. What okay. else have you been playing? So, you know, there was Obsession, which I forgot to mention the Meeples in Obsession. It's this upstairs, downstairs. They've got butlers and the valets and the, the ladies' maids. It's great. Um, and you have to have the right Meeples for each of the guests that you bring in. They have very particular requirements. But the next game does not have interesting Meeples. It's called Block by Block. Very different theme. <laughs> you are um, in a city uh, full of corrupt police officers and some kind of hostile regime, and you are trying to liberate the city. You are the neighbors, the prisoners, the students, um, the workers, and you are basically trying to liberate these blocks of your city and kind of fend off the police force before the tanks roll it. And if you liberate enough blocks, then you win the game. And it makes me think about. It's cooperative, right? So Uh I was really looking forward to playing this. It sounded like a really good theme, nice and meaty. I was assuming I would play it with my adult friends. But in fact, my 11-year-old saw it and could not resist. And he is now in this habit now where wherever I have a game out, he'll just open up the game and start making up his own rules and playing it. And then eventually he'll want to actually play it by by the actual rules with me. And so he really wanted to play block by block. And I thought, okay, it's ages 14 and up. It's pretty complicated. But it's also co-op, so let's just give it a shot. We played that game. We lost the first game. We lost the second game. We lost the third game. There was five hours in a row on a Saturday playing this game. And he <laughs> would, awesome. he wow. did like he wanted to try again. And we're like, I'm sorry, we have to have dinner now. Like we yeah. can't play anymore. So awesome. Sunday afternoon, we got it back out again. We played it for the fourth time and we beat it on the fourth try. And right. it was epic. It was epic. I mean, it's block by block uprising. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's the very cool. I was hoping for a subtitle like Rise of the Proletariat, but I'll take Uprising. <laughs> that's fine. And, and your your meeples are not meeples. They're just cubes, right? They're yeah, literally yeah, yeah. just blocks that you manipulate. Although there are these little like police vehicles that that move around a little bit. So there are some wooden things in there. But it's cool. it's like the most kid-friendly game about proletariat uprisings. About you can imagine. Civil War. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. It's okay. that that genre of games for kids, yes. right? It's <laughs> it's the one. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Wow, All that right. sounds interesting. And it the box looks cool. I mean from my very quick Google search on my phone. But All right. I'm gonna use this as a way to segue to another game that is a great way to introduce adult concepts to kids <laughs> uh, we finally got around to like playing, the failed social state right i know this right the kinds uh, of things we, we work into most of our games zombie life insurance that andrew picked up at essen <laughs> well okay so we bought this game because we were going through the essen list and anitra was like that game looks amazing you need to buy that game off of just the name just really the name. and and the picture yeah. and it was not quite what i expected but it did not disappoint every player is going through, they're getting their salary uh, and then using some of it to buy investments and health insurance and life insurance while there is a 
zombie horde attacking. <laughs> so the conceit is that you are, you know, making these decisions of what to do with your money. And then the last thing you do on your turn is to draw a card. That card might be an action card that you can use for the future, but chances are about one in three that it's actually going to be an infection card and you are going to go down the path towards zombiehood. I mean, once you get bit, it's bad news. So does this mean that like insurance is cheaper because people aren't going to be able to cash it in because of the apocalypse? I'm trying to understand the economics here. So what this really is, is a game to teach about how life insurance works on a high level. You have, I think, five options of things you can buy because you can buy an investment, which will pay out some amount at the end of every round. Every round has a thing that then comes out and everybody who has investments gets money based on that. Sure. Safe, Um, reliable. Yep. Mostly reliable. Every once in a while, the end of the round thing comes out and it says zero and you get nothing. Yeah. Really reliable is buying any of the insurances. There are four different kinds of insurance and one of them is like an endowment If you survive to the end of the game, it's going to pay out quite nicely because all of the money that you've been paying to pay your premium, basically, you get all of that back doubled. Nice. Like whole life insurance. Yes. (laughs) All of the other ones pay more like you would expect your typical term life insurance to pay. You pay to buy the policy and then you do still have to pay upkeep on it. But then as soon as a specific bad thing happens to you, the policy pays out. So one is, oh, you've gotten (laughs) infected. You know, you've gotten any kind of infection. That policy pays out. Yeah. And the next one is like critical injury. You are very, very close to being fully zombified. And if you hit that one, that pays out even better. And then you have your actual life insurance, which only pays out if you become a zombie. Basically, you have died. You have become a zombie and the life insurance pays out. If you become a zombie, that is the last money you ever get is that life insurance payout. And then you play the rest of the game trying to keep everybody else from earning money (laughs) until the game is over. As zombies are wont to do, ruining everyone else's fun. So I have always laughed at accidental death and dismemberment, just because I just think the concept of dismemberment in in like as standard language in in an insurance policy is funny. Are there opportunities in this game for random limbs to fall off? Uh, no. The, That's disappointing. The zombie yeah. hood is just represented by three little tokens that are yeah. either on the green side or, the, but I mean, or like, the red side. Like some flavor text of like, oh, your arm fell off. Oh, well, maybe you can hit someone with it. You know, <laughs> right. like, I mean, this is a classic <laughs> zombie movie move though, right? I got bit on my hand, right? The infection's going to spread. What am I going to do? I got to chop off the I'm arm. I'm going to go buy right? some life insurance right? before I die. Right. Sure. And I'm like, my <laughs> accidental death and dismemberment insurance is going to come in really handy at this point. Right. Because yeah. you you can you get the dismemberment, and then you get bit again, and then you get the death. I mean, it's right. perfect. <laughs> wow, uh, money making one hundred and one. No All kidding. A couple of good zombies. I heard a podcast. I think it was the Imaginary Worlds podcast years ago, and they had a whole episode dedicated to the economics of the Empire in Star Wars, and trying to figure out how this empire is actually going to work. Yeah. And, well, I mean, I think if you take over enough planets in the galaxy, <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably figure it out. Eh, Maybe. And a lot of solar power. Anyway. But yeah, so. So how was the game? Was it a fun game or did it just make you worried about your finances? (laughs) No, it was a fun game. It was okay at two players. I am definitely looking forward to playing it with more players because I feel like the 
zombie havoc can get really fun if you have more players. As it was, I got turned into a zombie first. And so I actually realized that it was to my advantage to keep my opponent from becoming a zombie because he had stocked up on life insurance and I did not want it to pay out. So he kept spending his money on keeping his life insurance around and I was... On my turn, I was able to like look at the top couple of cards in the deck and make sure that he would not draw the infection card so that he Mm, would keep spending out and not be able to get the payout in the end. Yeah, I wanted to play this with you, but I had a migraine, so that wasn't happening. But we can definitely play it again soon. There was kind of a lot of setup for what it is. It's it's basically just a card game with a couple of tokens, but it's fairly simple now that I've got the well, hang of it. Well, I set up starter packs for everybody and didn't explain how I set them up, so... (laughs) That was we probably were more halfway confusing. there on the starter pack. A little more yeah. confusing than it needed to be because I didn't yeah. actually communicate right. with you. But sorry, I have played a couple of uh, rounds of Three Sisters. I don't remember if I mentioned it last week on the show, but we played it again. I got my best score ever this week. Oh in yeah, Three Sisters. I mean, it wasn't good, but it was better. I played some solo Three Sisters <sighs> earlier. Yeah, that so there is nice. a like a rotary seed spreader in the shed, mm-hmm. which allows you to plant. Three things instead of instead two of when two. you plant. Yeah. Uh, Derek, have you played Three Sisters? I have not. Are you familiar no. with this game at all? Have you I, played Fleet Dice? I have not. No, but I am familiar. Like I, I, I know the the gist of these games. So it's the pinchback and riddle super combo rific games. So that's a good play, I think, if you can get a bunch of shed time at the beginning of the game. Pick up the seed pick spreader. Up the so you seed can spreader. Plant yeah. more seeds faster. Yep. And then all when right. you rain and you cross off like twenty cubes, it feels pretty good. I bet. Oh. How was the solo mode? Did you play it with the expansion or no? No, I played the solo mode straight because it's not exactly like playing against an opponent. Instead, your Atama thing is going around and crossing off things on your player sheet. So rude. What? Crossing off things so you can't use them. Is that that stupid Mm. crow? No, that was from Delicious. Oh, that was Delicious. So this is Farmer Edith herself is going off and preventing you from planting crops and preventing you from getting certain things in the shed and whatever, depending on how the die rolls work out. Nobody likes an Edith. I actually have a friend named... (laughs) But whatever. Anyway. All right, Derek, last game. What do you got? Okay. I'm going to go for a much lighter game and a classic, in my opinion, Deep Sea Adventure. Oh, so good. Yes, it is. It's my go-to, right? You are deep sea divers, you're treasure hunters, but you're having to share this oxygen tank. And so you're, you're traveling down this little path to try to get treasure and get back to the boat in time. But every time you get treasure, you move more slowly and you use more oxygen, play over three rounds. I have played this game with five-year-olds. I have played this game with 85-year-olds. It handles up to six players, I think. It comes in a tiny box. This is maybe the most versatile game in my collection. I played it in our our game night at church a few weeks ago, and I did decide this time I tried something different. I was teaching this game to new players, and I have found that new players always underestimate (laughs) how deadly this is, right? Like they think they can go down really deep and get some treasure and make it back to the boat in time, and they don't. I find that most new players get zero points on the first round and then they learn, right? And then they get better on the second and third round. So I warned these players, you know, just be careful, right? It's very common to not make it back to the boat on the first try. So they all played super conservatively. They all made it back to the boat on the first try, the second try, the second, the third day. I lost this game really badly, actually. And <laughs> But that's okay when you're demoing, like when you're the one doing the teach, I feel like losing is, I don't I never have a problem with it. Losing means you did a good job teaching. Exactly. what it means. Yes. So, you know, while you were talking about this, I stopped and I'm going to recommend that people never, ever do this with their games. But I did for this game. Can you imagine the mechanics 
of six people swimming around sharing the same oxygen tank. Like, <laughs> what, would that, what would that be like? You know what I mean? Like, I always visualized it as like an old timey diver instead of having your own individual oxygen mm. tank that you have like a hose connecting yes. up to the boat. Back yeah, up to the boat. Like if you did that, you'd also have a rope. So like somebody at the top would be like, this is empty. I'm going to pull you out so you don't die. Yeah. But that's what the rules say is happening is that you drop all your treasure and you surface. You don't uh, die, at least not until the third round. Right. In our house, dolphins rescue you and bring you back. Oh, but course. they can't carry your treasure for you. They're not that nice. I see. Yeah. Or won't. <laughs> yeah. They want it for themselves. Yeah, right. They're so shiny. <laughs> but, no, that's a crap. Anyway, that's a Moana joke. All I right. apologize. No need to apologize. Moana's okay. fantastic. Okay. Uh, let's see. Last thing on our list, because we basically played the same games together, yeah. I guess, is insert coin to play. We talked about this a while ago. Our yeah. snap review for this is going to be in the middle of the show, but Derek looks very confused. I have not even heard of this game. We're going to give you a preview. So okay. insert coin to play is by Little Rocket Games. I think it's Gigamech Games distributes Something it in the United like States. I'm not sure. But it's a flip and write game where you draw four cards and you kind of like circle draft the, the four cards. And then you pick from those four, three of these shapes that you want to fill in with polyominoes. You then draw those shapes on your little player mat. You draw like the outlines of these shapes. And then everybody puts all the cards back in the middle, you shuffle them up and you flip the card out and they have two polyominoes on the bottom. And you pick one of those and you fill in those grid spots on one of your shapes. The whole thing is classic arcade themed. So the shapes you're drawing are things like a angry looking ghost skull, uh, a very simple little heart, uh, a power cherry, you know, an alien invader. Uh, and they're all 8-bit style art. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's like super Space Invaders vibe. Like, that's the yeah. vibe of this game. And every single one of them, when you finish a specific shape, it gives you a power that you can use immediately. Some of them help you. Some of them hurt other people. There's one or two that are defensive, and so it just becomes a thing that you have. So you've got a little bit more player interaction that way. And the goal is really just to make the right balance so you've filled in as much as possible when the game ends, while also not having to, quote unquote, insert coins. Uh, oh, to play again. Lost lives. Yeah. Yeah, because so every coin is worth three lives and every life is worth one point. Yeah, so the way the game works, there's two game over cards that get shuffled in, one in the top half, one in the bottom half. And whenever a game over card, like when the first game over card flips over, if you haven't finished one of your shapes, which are called levels, you lose a coin like that. And then when the second one flips out, if you haven't finished two, you lose a coin like that. There are other situations in the game from player powers or from not being able to draw a polyomino where you will lose lives. And if you run out of lives, you have to spend a coin to refill your three lives. So it's definitely like it's got that arcade kind of mechanic feel to it. It's just the vibe is right. The vibe is an mm. 80s arcade game. So did you play this with your kids? Yes. Yes. Do they understand that vibe since they were presumably not around in the 80s? Mostly. I mean, not they probably don't get it quite as much as we do, but they get enough of it. I mean, they've seen arcade games, although... Usually these days you don't actually insert a coin to play. You right. have a card to play. Who has coins? I don't even have coins. Do you have coins? <laughs> well, like they've also played like 8-bit Mario. And so yeah. like the analog of coins and games, like yeah. that's a thing that they understand. 
Yeah. But maybe I should just start charging our kids money to play video games. That would now now we're talking. Yeah. They definitely understand losing lives and needing to start over again. Yes. yes. So yes. Yes. but it's a fun little fifteen dollar game on Amazon. It'll be linked in the show notes or in the snap review. Whatever. Both. Yep. And since it's that time of year, we would recommend this as a stocking stuffer to the person in your life who likes classic video games. Yeah. The only, I mean, significant down, like the most significant downside is what I should say to this game is when you pick your three shapes, you then have to sit down and draw the outlines on your grids. And hope that you got it right. <laughs> I mean, just be careful. Like it's not I just, impossibly I always, difficult. I but... always get really anxious and I check back and forth and mm, back and forth and back yeah. and be like, did I get this outline yeah, exactly? I mean, it's not that hard, but it's just like. It takes some brain power. Well, the step is necessary because of the way the game works, but it's also like. Ugh. It's the like least it, fun. Part it feels of the game. like the grind. It feels okay. like the grind okay. of the game. I guess. Okay. That, yeah. But it's more about precision than having fun with the art. It sounds right, like. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you yeah. have a you have a grid like drawn on your player thing. It's right. not like you have. But to you're trying to get it. just the right things. Like I've played cartographers with the children in my yep. lives, and yep. they like drawing the monsters. Right. Like that's right. that's part of the fun is getting to to illustrate. Yeah. On, on yeah. the sheets. No, it's 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 really just like uh, okay, it's three up. Okay. Okay. Two over up. Okay. Got to look back and forth. Okay. I got it. You know. This is kind of my beef. I was very hesitant to play any kind of roll and write or flip and write games for a long time because I kind of feel like one of the reasons I play board games is because the components are already there and I don't have to make them as I go. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it took me a while to be like, okay, there could be some joy in the drawing. Yeah. yeah. I, well, and, and I guess that's the thing. Like, it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's not fun. Right. It's, it's just necessary. That, that yes. This early setup step is not fun. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, have you played Super Mega Lucky Box? I have not. No. You need to play. You need to buy that game. Okay. We should pause the recording right now. <laughs> you need to order that game. It's like twenty bucks. It's in our gift guide this year. Come on, Derek. Come on. Okay, on it. <laughs> your kids will like that a lot. It is a flip and write, but your kids will love it. Nice. Nice. Yes. That's it. Do you have anything else on your list? Did you bring anything else to talk about? One more I'll mention because right. I got this at the used bookstore in Nashville where I live. McKay's bookstore has a great games collection, which is fun. So I am often surprised by what I can get for like six bucks there. And nice. I picked up Samurai Spirit designed by Antoine Balza. I know that guy. Yeah, he did. But, yeah, I don't either. But um, a lot of he did draft- Seven Wonders, Draftosaurus, yeah. right? Takedo. Yeah, <laughs> just a few games in my collection by Antoine Balza. Um, this one is inspired by the movie Seven Samurai, or I guess the U.S. Western remake of it, yeah. which mm-hmm. the name escapes me. At any rate, you are up to seven players working together to defend a village from a bunch of raiders, and you are the samurai. It's a co- another cooperative game. I mean, I've only played it twice now, but it kicked our tails both times. So yeah. it's a game where I, I liked that you can play it with up to seven. I played it two players with my son and there are enough mechanics where you can help each other out in the game mm-hmm. that I think it's a lot more fun when you have four or five players because sure. then you can be a lot more strategic about who you're helping and how you're helping. Sure. And it, it kind of gives you that vibe of a good, a movie of the genre where you know, you've got these larger than life characters and when they team up, they are actually more powerful than when they fight on their own. And sure. it's, it's got a little mm-hmm. vibe of that. So nice. I, like I hope that. at some point I, we will actually win it, but I'm, in, <laughs> I'm enjoying the battles along the way. All right. All right. Cool. That sounds fun. Yeah. I don't, I mean, hmm, did I play rising sun? I think I played rising sun one time. That's like the only Japanese themed game I think I've ever played. Samurai as a theme doesn't make it hmm. into my 
collection. Um, All that much. I don't it's, think so. It's more that the other Japanese samurai themed games we've played are really abstract games that happen to have samurai in them. You mean like right. Shogu and Senshi? And Onitama. Oh, sure. Onitama. And Gunkimono. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, I, I was actually, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about Gunkimono the other day. Anyway, whatever. Now, you're not wrong. You're not yeah, wrong. See? Yeah. That's typical. She's right and I'm wrong. <laughs> Moving on. I try. I try. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time to take a break. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. You're going to hear us talk a little bit more about Insert Coin to Play in a little bit more of an organized fashion. Uh, yes. I think. And when we come back, uh, Derek, I want to talk about first player. We'll be right back. Back in the day, before everyone had all their video games on home consoles, you had to go to the arcade to get the best gaming experience. Old school. Arcades always had this like super amazing vibe to them. You're spending money for every play, so you just, I feel like you gave it a little bit more effort every single time because you really felt like you had something to lose. You'd walk into an arcade, see a Space Invader screen. Do you remember what it was that it said before you put your quarters in? Insert coin to play. This is a snap review for Insert Coin to Play. Insert Coin to Play is a unique flip and write game by Zemilio and Marco Saloni for two to eight players ages eight plus. A game of this only takes about 15 to 20 minutes to play. Mm-hmm. You can get it in the United States from Gigamech Games. So Andrew, let's talk about the art in Insert Coin to Play. Like a lot of roll and write or flip and write games, there's really not a ton to the art. What's there, and this is important, is the fact that the art is easy to understand. The symbols are clear, and there's a really handy guide for all the shape powers. We'll explain those in a minute. Insert Coin to Play really leans into that 8-bit pixel art. It really just works with the style of the game, especially with the way the player grids work. Speaking of the grids, let's talk about mechanics. How do you actually play this game? At the beginning of the game, each player gets four cards to draft from. Choose one and pass the rest to your left. When you have four cards again, the draft is complete, and then you pick three that you want to use for the game. Then each player carefully draws the outlines of their three cards in the grids on their player sheet. Each grid is a level in the game. Make sure to start in a place where you can draw the whole outline, including any cutouts inside of them. That's the most difficult part. (laughs) Then shuffle all the shape cards back together, including a game over card in each half of the deck and start playing. Each player begins the game with three hearts and three coins. In the beginning of each turn, flip the top card of the deck over. There are two symbols on the bottom. Each player must fill in one of these two symbols inside one of the shapes that they've outlined. And of course, you have to stay in the lines. If you can't or don't want to use a shape, you lose one life, and you can fill in a single square in any one of your levels. If you lose all three hearts, you must Insert a coin to keep playing. Inserting a coin gives you three more lives. You can work on any of the levels in any order you want to. Whenever you complete a level, you get a power. Personally, I really like the power cherry. This one allows me to fill three squares on any of my shapes when I complete this level. But if you want to be a little bit nastier, there's the white skull. Rude. When you complete this one, all of the other players lose a turn. And there's a bunch more. You can find them on the player aid in the box. Plus, if you haven't completed a level when the first game over card is flipped, you lose a coin. If you haven't completed two levels when the second game over card is flipped, you lose another coin. The game ends when a player finishes all of their levels. There are no cards left, a player is out of lives and coins, or a player can't insert a coin when the game over card is flipped. 
tally your points and subtract for unfilled squares on all three of your levels, and the player with the most points wins. So, Andrew, what did we expect from this game? Well, I've got to be honest, I did not know what to expect at all. Little Rocket is not well known in the United States, and this is a game I picked up at Essen. It was actually a different game that you were interested in that brought me to their booth, but this is the one that had such unique gameplay, it's the one I came home with. I didn't expect super deep gameplay in an 8 plus 15 to 20 minute game, but we dug the art style from this company, so we're willing to give it a shot. I really liked the art style. Look at these cute little guys. And I generally like flip and write games, so I was excited for this one. What surprised you about this game? Well, I was surprised at how well this pixel art video game style dovetailed with a shape-filling flip and write game. I feel like I should have seen something like this in a game before, but I can't think of one. I thought the concept blended really well together. Characters from video games have powers, and so when you complete a level, you get whatever the power is for that shape. The beginning of the game is a little clunky, though. It takes time to draw out all of these outlines. But I do like the ability to draft the shapes that I want to fill out. I get the chance to choose harder ones or easier ones, depending on my tolerance for risk. And if you pick harder shapes, you might squeak out enough points to win the game, even if you don't finish them, which is kind of nice. Insert Coin to Play is inexpensive at about $15, and it makes a great stocking stuffer for a simple gamer in your life who will appreciate these 8-bit callbacks. Kind of gets me in the mood to play some old Atari games or something. What do you think? I think we should rate Insert Coin to Play first. Okay. Well, I think we'll give it four pixels out of five. Works for me. And that's Insert Coin to Play in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. Hello. We are here with Derek Bruff. And Derek, it is completely your turn to talk. Uh, yes. You're going to tell us about yes. what you're doing with the Get First me to shut up. Token podcast. I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, first Player Token is is kind of a labor of love for me. Not unlike you, I love playing games with my kids. And it's been a huge source of quality time and good memories over the years. And, you know, several years ago, I would post photos usually of what I was playing on Facebook or Instagram. And so my non-gamer friends would have a little glimpse into my board game life. And usually every November around this time of year, as we record this, I would get some messages from friends asking me for board game suggestions yep. for Christmas presents. And now you just say, oh, go to thefamilygamers.com for it's like holiday 2020. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I didn't have a gift guide to provide, but I thought, you know, at some point I should just put some of these suggestions out there for the world. And actually it happened in 2020. I was um, working from home. I work in higher education and that summer was really rough because we had a lot of courses that had to move online and professors who had to figure out how to do that. And I just felt like I was working nonstop. It was all good work and I, it was important and I'm glad I got to do it, but I really needed something that was mine that I could do for fun. And so um, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to start this board game podcast and I'm going to review and recommend games that are great with kids or couples, family games that we've really enjoyed <laughs> in my house and that I think other people will enjoy as well. And so I started First Player Token, which is 
kind of an odd name for the podcast. And I've, I've even been thinking about changing the name to something else that, you know, might have the word family in it, for instance. But I had started on Instagram as first player token. And that's where I did board game photography for a while. So I'm like, I'll just go with the handle that I have. But really, my audience is not the kind of gamer audience. It's folks like my friends who might go to Target or Barnes and Noble and see a whole lot of games. And they're like, I don't know what to pick, right? I played Monopoly and Sorry when I was a kid. And now there's, you know, 100 different options out there. And so thinking about that audience, I also wanted to keep my episodes really short. (laughs) And so I think most of my episodes are in the 11 to 12 minute range. Yeah, I've noticed your your recent ones get up closer to 20 minutes, but they're still very short and to the point. I think you do a great job distilling down all of the various aspects of how to play a game, what kind of skills it involves, what you should expect, who it's for, and all of that in usually 15 minutes or less. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, you know, I feel like in my own podcast listening, I don't, I don't have time to listen to two people sit around a mic for 90 solid minutes on a weekly basis and talk Good thing we keep 60 minutes. <laughs> 45 is perfect. 90 is completely ridiculous. Yeah. And so I wanted to keep it short. One game per episode. I usually interview someone and it's usually either a child in my life, a son, a daughter, a niece, a nephew. I do have a recurring segment we call Color Commentary, where I talk to my wife, Emily, about games. She offers her color commentary, which is literally commentary about the colors in the game. She is an artist (laughs) and a painter, and we talk about the aesthetics, and there's usually a little bit of color theory that she throws in there. I've learned things about complementary colors and analogous colors and all kinds of things. The other thing is, so interviewing kids about games is really... I think it's the most fun part of doing this podcast because I will sit down with a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew usually. And it's usually after we've played the game recently and, you know, I'll interview them for 15 minutes and then I will listen carefully and edit that down usually to three or four minutes of just, Mm -hmm. you know, child commentary gold (laughs) is what I aim for. (laughs) You really do a great job with that. I did want to make sure I mentioned that because every episode you include something like that. And what these kids say, I mean, you're, you are great and you do a great (laughs) job explaining games, but what the kids say, give you a great idea of how kids are going to react to a specific game. Yes. Yes. And what they get excited about and what they find silly. And I mean, half the time I'll ask my son, about his strategy for the game. And then he'll just say, I'm not telling you, I want to win. (laughs) And so, you know, they have their own priorities for these interviews and they want to do what they want to do. But they also have these really charming ways to talk about the games and and the memories that we've had playing these games. Because the other thing that I try to do is I'd only recommend a game if we've played it a bunch. And so I track my plays and usually it's 10 or more is my threshold. So these are games that we've, that have held up repeatedly for our family. And so usually the kids have some pretty fun memories about when we've played it, where we've played it, what kind of weird storytelling fun that we've had along with the games. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and then I, um, usually what happens is I interview the kid and then I sit down and I think through what I want to say about the game. And unlike what we're doing here (laughs) on this podcast, I script my part of the episodes uh, very thoroughly. I try to be pretty My key is two pages in Word. If I can keep my script to two pages, then my part of the podcast will be brief enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I'm happy to kind of edit my script until it fits. And I know that I'm just hitting the highlights and the stuff that I really want to say. 
And that way the whole thing can be short and sweet. And so the work is scripting my part takes time. Recording that and editing that is pretty easy because I'm just reading off the page. But then working with the kids, all the work is in the editing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do script our snap reviews. That's pretty much work. Right. Yeah. And so I was partially inspired by your snap reviews. The other board game podcast I really like is the five by because they do Mm -hmm. five minute board game reviews. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I realized, I was like, can I do five? Can I make mine even shorter? And then I realized my audience are not board gamers. And so there's a lot of things you can say to a board game audience where they just pick up on terms like worker placement or dice drafting or whatever. And so you can say a lot in very few words. And so one of the other things that I try to do is to avoid any kind of board gaming jargon in the podcast. Because again, I'm trying to appeal to these non-gamers out there. It took you until episode 30, I think, to use the word meeple? I'm I'm really impressed. (laughs) I... (laughs) Yes. And I was talking about Carcassonne in that episode and Which I could not. It's the game that introduced right, you, yeah, meeples. You, you can't not talk about meeples. Right. I was like, it is now time to teach my listeners the word meeple. Right. Say but, it with you know, meeple. <laughs> yeah. It's not that these terms are necessarily off-putting. If you are that person who's standing in Barnes and Noble and wondering what to pick, like knowing something's a deck builder is not going to help you make the decision. Right. Right. I've got to kind of communicate, why is this interesting? Why is this fun? Um, And I try to teach a few words here and there, but um, I really want it to be as accessible as much as I can to a big audience. So I would recommend to our listeners, they should listen to your podcast, even if these are games that they're already familiar with, because I've picked up a lot for how can I introduce these kinds of games to people in my life who are not big gamers? Because I think you just do a great job laying things out, explaining them. And yeah, a lot of the games I'm already familiar with. So I'm like, oh, you know what? That is a way that really makes sense to talk about how these different aspects of Carcassonne work. Or sometimes it brings up things that I was not even aware of, which is <laughs> always fun when listening to a, a board game podcast. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, I um, that's actually really good to hear. Yeah. And because I am trying, I'm not trying to teach someone how to play the game. I'm not trying to explain all the ins and outs of it. I'm trying to give them a sense of what it's like to play the game so that they yeah. can decide, oh, this would be fun with our kids. And so I want to I want to go find this game. Yeah. And I, I remember there really was a defined change in our board game reviews a while ago when I started to see parody board game review videos that talked about the fact that 90% of a board game review was the how to play of the game. And then three sentences about opinion, and then the board game review video was over. And that really made me think hard about what is a board game review supposed to be? And that's why over the last couple of years, our setup and gameplay are so much more hand wavy than they ever were before, because that's not really what people want. Like, if people want to read the rule book, they'll just read the rule book, right? It's really just get, kind of getting a, a general sense. Is the setup for this game onerous, right? Yeah. And then talk about w- some of that stuff. Yeah. Would this be like right game, for my kids? Yeah. yeah. If you have a game with like really unique mechanics in it, like sometimes that's really helpful to talk about. But like on your turn, you do this. Then you do like you could start there and then kind of hand wave it a little bit. And you do a much better job of it, I think, than we do. <laughs> But, you know, that's definitely, I think, a really important part of the whole process of communicating you know, yeah. the, the gist of a game in a succinct way. And again, it depends on your audience, right? So I play a lot of board games. Sometimes if I want to decide if I'm going to buy a game or not, I will watch a how to play video. 
Right. And I will deduce from that because I know what I like and I know what I don't like. But if you're not in that zone, then how to play is not necessarily helpful in terms of making a decision of whether or not you would like this game. Well, and like you already mentioned, for people who are big board gamers, just a series of code words might be enough to tell you like, oh, this is simultaneous play and it's a roll and write and it's got this kind of theme on it. And here are three major functions. It's a deck That's, building tableau builder. Yeah, that that <laughs> right. might be enough for you to be like, this is a game my family would like, or no, I, I hate games that are not simultaneous play. I want everybody to be able to play at the same time. And if we have to take turns, that's not going to work for my family. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's a great to use shorthand like that, but it doesn't always work. And making the balance of like, here's the shorthand. If you already understand this stuff, let me explain a little bit of what those terms mean and still keeping it really succinct and giving the whole feeling of a game is a really special skill. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I also like, there's something you guys do. I forget what you call it, but where you, you offer like three games that use a similar mechanic that kind of increase in complexity. Room to grow. Room to grow. There, there you go. And that's something that I've started to do a little bit in the podcast because I had some friends who were like, oh, I never realized that this game is actually like Splendor and I know Splendor and this is mm-hmm. kind of a step mm-hmm. up, right? Mm-hmm. And so those things that, again, if you play a lot of games, you start to notice those things pretty quickly. Yeah. But if you're if you're not as familiar with that, then just knowing that these do have similar mechanics, if you like this game, you might also like this game for these other reasons. Yeah, I you know, my day job, I'm all about teaching and helping teachers be more effective. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of that bleeds into my my um, <laughs> That's free good, time probably. podcasting work. Yeah. So anyway, we should probably do another one of those. We also do uh, a segment where we define board game terms. We haven't done that in a while. We haven't done that in a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I thought, you know, maybe I should have, you know, episodes that are just that. But I thought, no, I think people want to hear about a game. And then Mm -hmm. if, like Carcassonne, there's a term that if if it's unavoidable, (laughs) if it's unavoidable or like this is the right time, like if you understand this game, now you can know what that term means. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to sneak them in there a little bit. I mean, there are really quintessential moments in board game history, right? Like Settlers of Catan comes out and has invented victory points. And now you get to explain what victory points are and Carcassonne and Meeples and, you know, Dominion with deck building and whatever. I was was going to say, I I don't think I knew what engine building was until I played Splendor. And then when someone said, oh, you're building an engine to do this, then as a board gamer, I could look back and be like, oh, I have played other games yeah. that do this sort of thing, but I never would have called it that. And now it's Furnace all the time. Because <laughs> I love that game. That game is great. Have you played Furnace? Furnace is great. I have not played Furnace. Oh, you should play Furnace. Okay. The only- it makes my brain hurt a little it bit. Does. It does. Oh, oh my gosh. So in Furnace, you build this sequential engine. The only problem with this game, and there is a variant where you don't do this, is- that according to the game rules, you can completely rearrange your engine any round. Uh, every every round. Yeah. And it's just like, if you want to find a way to inflict analysis paralysis on, on everybody at the table. same time, <laughs> you tell them that they can yeah. just rearrange everything. Oh. Like, Just be like, no, you can't. You can put the next piece on the beginning or the end, but you can't rearrange the middle. And move on with your life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Your scores won't be as high, but you'll have more fun playing that way. It's a super well put together game. I love the aesthetic of the game. I think it's a little expensive for what you get. Hmm. But other than that, if somebody gives you a gift certificate to a board game store, which is what happened to me, (laughs) Furnace is a good buy. Yeah. (laughs) 
There you go. Well, I got to share one highlight from my podcast. Oh, please. When I set out, I thought, I'm not trying to monetize my podcast, right? Like, I'm I'm not going to make money here. But it, it would be lovely if someone sent me a review copy of a game at some point. And so two years into the podcast, I did get a review copy. I managed to talk to Chad Elkins at 25th Century. Chad Rules. Yeah, he's great. So I have one connection to the board game industry. So I'm friends with Matt Aiken, who is with Keymaster Games. And they make Parks. Yes, they do. And so I interviewed Matt for my episode on Parks and got a little behind the scenes. And Matt invited me and a couple of our friends to work their booth at Gen Con last year. Nice. And so I brought my little microphone with me. And I got to interview Chad because they make Space Explorers, which is one of my favorite games. I I really like that game a lot. Another game with a great aesthetic. Right. Yes. Emily did a fantastic color commentary section on that one. During my interview with Chad about Space Explorers, he let me know that they had an expansion in the works. And so when that expansion was ready for um, review copies, he sent me one and I Mm -hmm. was so thrilled. I know you guys get review copies more than a once a year a <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is a, it's a cool moment that first time yeah it's yeah. a cool moment even now like well, five yeah, years it, in. You're, you're not wrong like box opening day is very exciting yeah i I'm, i guess i'm a little jaded but i will say when we get two boxes on the same day I, it's like christmas I'm like, <laughs> well i don't even know what's happening right All now the board game. <laughs> oh yeah speaking of 25th century games and i know you'll listen to the show you really need to buy Green Team Wins. Really? Okay. Oh my I, goodness gracious. So here's my thing. I, so I'm not someone who likes to play party games, but I have lots of family members who do. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah, I do like it. Okay. will love yeah, it's, this it's, it, we, did, we did a snap review on it like two weeks ago. Um, you, can, you can watch that snap review. This game is coming out on Thanksgiving. Hands down. <laughs> okay. it, support, it supports 12 people out of the box. Nice. It's super casual. It's great. It's going to lead to arguments around the table that and, are going to be, be fun fantastic. arguments. Because nice. it's questions like ice cream sandwiches or popsicles. That's the question. And you just oh. answer. <laughs> okay. That's it. Okay. And, uh, and, you and you're not necessarily going for the right answer. You're going for what's going to be the most popular answer around the table. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. And that's yeah. the right answer. By the way, the answer is ice cream sandwiches, just in case you're wondering. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's also like best of three and i remember one of the cards was who's doing the real work here the graham cracker the chocolate or the marshmallow <laughs> right and everybody answers their thing oh that's great you know, and, then, yeah. and, then and then everybody shows them all at once and like that's the whole game and you answer 15 randomly selected questions and then you you know and whoever has the most points wins it's fantastic. It's really All right. For $25, well, it's and, a good one. And we didn't say this in the review, but one of the things that brings out the extra layer of fun, I think, is that feeling like you have to betray yourself if your snap judgment is like, you start to write it and then you're like, oh, nobody else is going to write this. Everybody's going to disagree with me. I need to deny myself and write <laughs> down what's going to be the most popular answer. Right. I did recently try a new format for a first player token. I did a first play, which I, is I, something that you you see a lot on, you know, you hear a lot on board game podcasts. I don't, right? I try to stick to games that we've played a bunch. Right. But as I mentioned on that episode, my son is just really ready to try new games all the time now. And so it's hard to play something 10 times with him, but it's pretty easy to play something once. And so I had backed Garden Bow from 25th Century Games on Kickstarter and it came in and I wanted to play it and he wanted to play it. So we played it. And then I just recorded a really loose episode as a first play, but it's not an official episode. It doesn't have an episode number because I want to try to kind of keep that 
pristine, right? These are the games yeah. that will stand the test of time. And I have edited the episodes heavily. So <laughs> it's just the thing I like to do, right? right. Um, but my hope is also that since I don't typically review kind of new games, I review the games that have stood the test of time, that it doesn't really matter when someone finds my podcast. Sure. They right. can get something out of those episodes from two or three years ago because these are games that were already kind of classics in my family at the time. Right. So, no. so it's, it's very bingeable, right? Just find an episode, listen to three or four in a row. They're all short. And again, the children are really the highlights. That's <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I'm talking too much in this episode. I need more kids. Love it. All right. Well, uh, I think we are out of questions. You have run the tap dry. I have nothing else for you, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. This was great to talk shop a little bit and course, to absolutely. share a bit about First Player Token. A ton of fun. Where can people find your stuff? Both website, podcast, everything. Yeah. So uh, firstplayertoken.org is the website. That's probably the best, best place to go. I learned that First Player Token, when you write all that out, has too many letters for Twitter. <laughs> So <laughs> sadly, so yeah, pro tip for podcast creators out there, pick a name that has 15 or fewer characters. So I am first player token on Twitter. There's a missing E in the middle of it. But generally, if you look for firstplayertoken.org, you'll find the rest of my stuff there. So I do really enjoy taking photos of board games. So uh, I don't do video, but I do audio and I do photos. And so my Instagram account has lots of fun stuff there too. And of course, you can look for first player token on any podcast app. That yep. Works. Just search your favorite app and it should be right there. Well, Anisha, did you know, I bet you did, that you can find us on basically everything at Family Gamers AA? I did. Hopefully our listeners did too. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and sometimes on TikTok and you can find us on YouTube. On YouTube at Family Gamers AA. We got our handle. We did it. You can also head over to the Family Gamers community on Facebook. If you're not in the community, you should join. We'll say your name on the show. I mean, how cool is that? Get there by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community. And hey, since nobody wants to be on Twitter anymore, you might as well come back to Facebook. <laughs> exactly. Like that. We're all there. <laughs> you can also email us, uh, Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. It is gift giving season. So number one, you should check out our holiday gift guide by going to thefamilygamers.com slash holiday 2022 and see all of the games that we recommend. We broke it out into eight different sections, mm -hmm. some by age range, some by kind of game player type, you know, thing. Uh, and uh, hopefully you'll find something there that you will like. Lots of stuff that we mentioned, like Green Team Wins and Super Mega Luggy Box are on that list. Mm -hmm. You know what else you can do with gift giving season? You can give Family Gamers merch. Yes, that would be a gift to two people. Three people. <laughs> there's two of us. There's two of us. And then the person who's yes. lucky enough to get that gift. The hoodies are really comfortable, and the t-shirts are nice, and I like my mug. I actually uh, had to switch out of my Family Gamers hoodie yesterday because it was too warm. Well. Into a thinner hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> so it bodes well for the uh, the winter season. But anyway, you can get all that by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. If you like what you're hearing, I hope you have subscribed to the Family Gamers podcast. And you should also definitely check out Derek's podcast because it will only take you 15 minutes. <laughs> and you will smile. Who doesn't like to smile? The Family Gamers podcast is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial will help you pile up the victory points. Well, that's going to be it for us this week. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Derek. It has been a real pleasure to have you on, and I hope more people will check out your stuff. There's about 30 episodes out right now of First Player Token. 
Lately, it's been coming out about between once and twice a month. <laughs> I cannot do weekly. I don't know how you guys do it. I cannot do <laughs> weekly. We're exhausted. Yeah. You're exhausted. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Of course. Of course. It's our pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. So, Anitra. Yes. I think think that's it for this week. I think so, too. All right. We've got a lot of games to play, some first-player token to listen to. So until next week, everybody, play, play games, games with your, your games. games.